My name is Dan Underhill. I'm the student pastor here, and we want to continue in our series, You Do You, boo-boo, okay? I added the boo-boo. But look at your neighbor, look at him and say, you do you. You do you. Okay. <laughs> I love you, um, but I'm going to hold you accountable. Come on, look at him with some enthusiasm. Look at him and say, you do you. You do you. You do you. We're talking about identity today. We're talking about identity Theft. So if you're taking notes, you can grab that piece of paper that we hand you the program on the, way in, on the way in. You can fill out identity theft. And so here's what I found. I did a little bit of research on identity theft, and here's what I found. Okay, Identity theft, according to the Department of Justice, affected 17.6 million Americans in 2014. That's a lot of people. A lot, a lot of people. But check this out. It also cost over $15.4 billion, identity theft. Now, you're probably wondering, hey, why is it a 2014 statistic? Well, the Department of Justice is a little slow on getting me their data, okay? I got an email into them. I'm going to correct it. I promise you. They'll get it to me quicker. But we're talking about identity theft, and I thought to myself, man, identity theft? When I was growing up, that wasn't a big deal. Like, that wasn't really even a thing when I was growing up. And I said, man, how did we get here? How did this become such a big thing? And lo and behold, I went to Facebook for all my answers, right? Because we all know that Facebook is the source of truth, right? And I found a meme, and if it's a meme and it's on Facebook, you know it's got to be true. So check it out. I found the root cause of identity theft. As a young child, my mother told me I could be anyone I wanted to be. Well, it turns out the police call it identity theft. <laughs> I thought it was funny. I see it as a little bit comical, but identity is a huge issue in today's culture, okay? It is absolutely wide-sweeping, no matter if you're in first grade or you are graduated out and you are watching your grandchildren go into first grade. And anywhere in between, we have to push, pull, deal with the tension of our own identity. Now, identity theft, I will say, is this. They're not really looking to be you. They don't want to be you. They don't want to walk your dog, right? They don't want to wash your car, clean your house. They want access to your assets. What it is that they want is they want the benefits with none of the commitment. And when we talk about a series in church about identity, I couldn't help but draw the parallel. Sometimes I'm that way with God. I want all the benefits. I want all the assets. Just not sure that I want the commitment that it takes to get where I want to go. And I said, you know what? We need to deal with idols. We have to deal with what is going on in our community. Because we have to deal with the real you. Not the you that we try to put out in front of people, who you really are. And there's a lot of confusion in today's culture about identity. And so what I want to do 
is I want to give you a thesis statement that we're going to work through when the time that we have here today. And it's this. It says, what you worship either confuses or it confirms your identity. What you worship will either confuse your identity or it will confirm your identity. And we're going to pick this story up where Pastor Mac left off last week with the children of Israel who had just escaped Egypt. Pharaoh's riding down their neck, ready to slaughter them because he realized that he just let about a million plus people go that were free labor. Okay, And as they get to the Red Sea, God oh, parts the Red Sea, right? Like straight up Bruce Almighty, Campbell soup, the tomato soup. Remember you guys remember that, sir? No? Little Bruce Almighty reference? Nobody gets it? Nobody? Bueller? Bueller? Okay, thank you. I need a little encouragement. So he parts the Red Sea for them. They get to the other side. God speaks the Ten Commandments at this point that we're going to pick it up, but he hadn't written them down yet, okay? He had told them the Big Ten, but they haven't actually seen them. And all of a sudden, the children of Israel get all sorts of confused about who they are and who did what for them. So we're going to pick this up, okay, in Exodus chapter 32. Now we're going to read a good, healthy portion of verses here. It's okay, the Bible is healthy for you, okay? This will not kill you, all right? It's like vegetables. You're trying to get your kids to eat them. You're like, hey, read it. So here we go. This is what it says in Exodus 32.1. It says, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in your ears of your wife and your sons. Hold on, what? Earrings and sons, never mind, that's a different message. Your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that, that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And they received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are the gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, go down to your people. Hold up. Earlier in Exodus... God sent Moses and said, go to my people. I will call them by my name. And now because of idol worship, they broke their identity. They broke their connection to God by worshiping something that wasn't God. Interesting. Then it says in verse 8, they have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. I have made, uh, they have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are the gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. You see, the children of Israel, what they did is they took what God did for them and they assigned it to someone else because Moses was up on the mountain with God again. God was literally writing the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments. 
He was writing them so they could come back and they could see what he said. And in the middle of them being away from God, Moses and God are on the mountain communicating and he's interceding between the people and God for them. They lost their way. And I thought to myself, isn't that the way we are? We're prone to wander, aren't we? When we don't see God right in our lives, we don't see him doing something, it's, we think as though he's totally evaporated and he doesn't exist anymore. I know that I struggle with that. And if I'm a pastor and I struggle with that, man, how much more must we all struggle with that together? And we have to deal with that because we can't sacrifice our identity because our identity is connected to what we worship. And if we replace it with something that is not God, it will inevitably ruin us. So God was about to seal a covenant with them and give them the big 10, right? And I said to myself, man, I don't want to miss out on what God's doing. So I said, let's talk about worship. Let's define this. And let's give you four keys to finding your identity through worship. The first one is this. We are created to worship God and God alone. This is found in Exodus chapter 20. Remember the big 10 that I mentioned earlier? Ten Commandments. Anybody know them? The Big Ten? Yes? That's, that's kind of a big one. You're going to want to know that one. Okay? All right. The first one that comes up, God says, you shall have no other gods before me. You have absolutely no other gods in front of me. And I thought to myself, man, where do I worship that, where is it that I'm most connected to God? And I'm a nature kind of guy. I like to go out and do. How many doers are in the house? You're like, Okay. I said, how many doers are in the house? I mean, you are a doer. Some, some, some of the wives are like, man, you should raise your arm, man, because it always, I'm that guy. I'm like, let's go, let's go, let's go. Saturday morning is a little bit tense for us because it takes till about 9.30. And I look at my wife and go, so what are we going to do? What's the plan? She goes, let me guess, what's the plan for today? And I'm just like, I'm glad you're picking up on this. Do you have one? Right? And we started running. So I'm a doer. And I love to be out in nature. And so this past uh, June, I got this awesome privilege of heading out to a place I'd never been before. Me and a couple buddies went out, and we went to Moab, Utah. How many of you guys have ever been to Utah? Right? Okay. Being from the Northeast, we're just like, what's Utah? Is that like a cream or something? What do you do? It's, oh, it's a state. Okay, and so we go, I was totally unprepared for what I was about to see. We went hiking, okay? We went into some places, went to a national park. First time, rookie season, national park goer. We hiked the whole thing. Like, we went through the entire deal. Like, you know, doers, like, go to the next one, go to the next one, do the next one. We're having fun. Yes, we are, we're sweating. We're having fun. How many dads have led a vacation like this? <laughs> I see you. So... We go to Utah, and I want to show you some of the pictures that I took. They're going to put them on the, on the wall here so you can see. This is a place called Arches, okay? Beautiful. I had no idea that places like this existed in America. I was like, wow. And so you see these massive arches. Now, what's going to be hard for you to be able to see is way down here in the corner, there are a few little specks all the way back here. Those are the people. They're way back down there. So you can see just how massive this is. And I'm out there and I'm like, this is God. This is awesome. So 
What did any self-respecting man do with four of his buddies? We snapped a selfie, right? We cracked a selfie, and these are the guys that I go with, right? This is Barry and Matt, and we're like, yeah, all right, take the picture. Now, now, not only did we take a selfie, we mean-mugged it. You can see it, right? We're mean-mugging a little bit, okay? You think that we're just trying to be cool. What we're trying to do is keep it together, all right? Because what you don't see in this picture is about a 100-foot drop-off that we are literally hanging off up in those arches that we hiked up to. Our wives, if they knew where we had went, they never would have let us go, right? I mean, it was crazy. It was crazy, but I thought to myself, as beautiful as this is, how foolish would I be if I worship the creation instead of the creator? You see, anything that takes God's place is an idol. Anything that comes before God is an idol. And when I'm out here, I can get caught up with how beautiful it is. But let me define God for you. This is one national park inside of one city, inside of one state, that's inside of America. And America is on a continent. Only one continent on an earth that's in a solar system. And how big and how many are those? How big is our God? He's so much bigger than we give him credit for. And we have to take time to come back and realize just how big he is. Otherwise, we naturally will wander. And as much as we want to make fun of the Israelites for making idols, we'll do the same thing. There's a great pastor in New York City. His name is Tim Keller. He pastors Redeemer Presbyterian Church, and he put a quote together trying to define. So I want to give you some definitions of what idols are, and this might help put it into perspective for us. Uh, an idol is anything that takes the place of God. Anything that takes the place of God is an idol. It doesn't matter what it is. I'm going to read a quote from him that gives you a little more nastier of a version, okay? You guys ready for this? You guys ready for this? Yeah. I'm about to bowl this right at you, okay? I'm coming right at you, straight in, all right? So check it out. It says, anything you love more than God is an idol. Even good things, whoa, like a spouse or a child, or a social cause, it's a false god. Because we love them too much, we are racked with uncontrollable fears and anger when we are threatened in inconsolable despair when we lose them. Anything that we cannot live without, except for God, it's an idol. Something that we are scared and petrified of losing. And I know that you're like, hey, man, he's getting a little punchy, okay? Someone better email Mac about this. Yeah, go ahead. He loves those. Send him an email. <laughs> but my wife, as much as I love her, if I put her in the place of God, not in the proper order in which God had given her to me, as a wife... She's an idol. 
as awesome and as wonderful as she is, she comes after God. My relationship with him is pivotal. My relationship with her is a blessing of my relationship with him. Now, children, I understand. I love my boys. I love my girls. Heck, I love my kids so much, I outdid all of you. Four-time champion. Okay? You're a bunch of weaklings. Catch up. I love them. But as soon as they take a place of priority over God, they're an idol. Whoa, Dan, what are you talking about? Let me explain. You can take the time you spend, the effort you put in, the finances you invest, spreadsheet it. Take a look at it. If we're putting more into their success to make us feel better about who we are than we are putting into what God's called us to be and prioritizing it properly, it's an idol. It is an idol. And you're putting them in an unfair position because any idol cannot stand up underneath the pressure that you put on it. You see, God is so much bigger. Remember what I said about Utah, Moab, country, state, continent, world, universe. So much bigger. He is bigger than all of those things. And when you try to put God underneath them, you're working against the forces of the universe and it won't work. He will naturally come back and it will crush them. They can't hold up underneath the weight that you're putting on them. It won't work. We have to put things in right priority. Now, am I telling you that your hopes and dreams are wrong? No, 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 no. Your hopes and your dreams are great. God has such blessing for you. He wants awesome things. He wants your kids to be successful. He wants you to be successful. He wants you to have peace. He wants to make sure that you become all that he's called you to be. But when we put success or security or education or status above God and make him a lesser priority, we've fashioned an idol. We've made something that's man-made and it can't hold up against the divine. The divine will win every time. So number two, when we worship counterfeit gods or idols, we confuse our identity. We actually confuse our identity when we worship counterfeit gods or idols. When we allow them to take a place that they shouldn't rightfully have. And I don't know about you, but I've noticed in our culture, there's a lot of identity confusion going on, isn't there? Isn't there? People don't know who they are anymore. They self-identify as a chair. I'm a chair today. I'm self-identifying. No, you're not. You're human. You're made by God. You were knit together in your mother's womb, and God said, I choose you to do what only you can do. You see, idols impersonate God, but they lack the power of God. And anytime we put them there, we're settling for a counterfeit that's going to get called out. It's not going to feel right. It's not going to be right. And it's not going to get you where you really want to go. The idols of success or power or education, 
You may feel like you're doing well, but I'll tell you what, and you'll notice this is true as soon as I say it. As soon as you accomplish one level, guess what? There'll be a next level, won't there? And when it's an idol, you're always on that rat wheel. You're on that gerbil wheel. You're just, you're running like an animal and you're exhausted from it. That's because we put our priorities out of balance. It's not fair to put these idols there. If you're asking your wife or your husband or your partner at all to fulfill that role and complete you and make you feel better, you're putting them in a position that they can't win. You're putting them in a position that only God can heal and make you whole. God is the only one who can grant you your identity. God is the one who put you together and put his divine fingerprint on you. They can't do it. Maybe there's kids here. I understand this one pretty good myself. My parents wanting to get their identity from what I accomplish or who I am. And we put that pressure on them. Our happiness is secured by their performance, by whether they accomplish or achieve. And the pressure becomes too much and they will crack underneath that pressure. We've got to have them in the right priority. We can't try to get value from a place that hasn't put value in us. The only place you can gain value is from the one who put value in you, and that is your Lord and your Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the one who, again, formed you together and designed you with a divine spirit fingerprint that says this is what this person's going to do. That's what they're called for. That's what they're purposed for. That's what it is I've made them for. You see, we get distracted, don't we? Don't we? We get distracted sometimes. We constantly are looking for intrinsic value from external sources. And we can't find our internal value from an external source. When you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he lives in your heart. It's within you. You can gain value by looking back to him. You can't find it from an external source. Money won't do it. Success won't do it. Some sort of press won't do it. Whatever you put there, it will fall apart. And we have to reminisce and think about what has he done for us. We have to remember, like the children of Israel, we can't forget and get divine amnesia for all that he's done for us. He has done such great things for us. We have to reminisce. So let's go on to the third key. When we worship, it confirms our identity. When we worship. Let's define worship for a minute. What is worship? Worship is when you ascribe worth to God as a simple definition. When you worship, you're telling him how you feel about him. You see, many people confuse the front end of today's service as the music portion. And yes, we do play music, but that is your one opportunity this week to gather with friends and corporately worship and ascribe worth to a God who created you, designed you, knows exactly what you're going through, and said, I'm going to create this space and time and moment and invite you to it. Would you like to talk? 
And if we don't engage in it, it's on us. You see, I'm not going to let a worship team give me words to say to my Lord. I'm going to be the first one to talk. That's why sometimes I'm down here in the front and I'm just singing and I'm bucking. And I'm just enjoying people. Like, He's not singing the words of the song. He's crazy. You're right. <laughs> on both accounts. But I'll tell you right now, I'm not scared of who I am. I know who I am, and my worship confirms my identity. And you know what can't happen? When I'm worshiping, which takes all different forms of expression, I'm not insecure. You know, also, I'm not, I'm not entitled. I'm not entitled at all. You know, a lot of people, have you heard about this entitlement generation? How many of you guys have heard about this entitlement generation? Oh, yeah, it's horrible. It's the worst. I don't know what you're talking about. Because my students, most of them here in the front, I don't see them as entitled. I see greatness in them. And you want to know what they get so right every Wednesday when we do crash here? They rush this front of the stage. Their hands up in the air because it's biblical. I love you. It's in the book. Their hands in the air and they're ascribing worth to God, telling him how great he is. And yeah, they're singing the songs. But I refuse to let them come here and just watch a music service because that doesn't do anything for them. That's a moment where they get to open up their mouth and tell him how great he is. And you know what they can't be while they're telling him how great he is? They can't be entitled and think it's about them. Now, I know they're not perfect. I got a teenager in my home. They're crazy. Okay? They are cray-cray. I've been doing this for 20 years Okay? I'm surprised I have hair, and what little hair I have is not sheet white. <laughs> but they're getting that right. And in that moment, they are more who they were created to be by God than they will be the rest of the week. That moment where they're identifying with their God, when they're confirming their identity, they're not getting confused. They're saying, you're great, and I know that the only reason why I can hold it together the best that I can is because you hold me together. You put me together, and when the storms of life blow on a teenage life, which they blow every hour on the hour, guess what? I still know I'm connected to you, and I still know you're great, and they're doing an excellent job at it. So when we worship, we ascribing worth to God. We're telling him how we feel about him. And you know what the effects of worship are? We feel better. If you engage in healthy worship regularly, you'll know this is true. Try it. It's free. We're not charging you for the worship. It's free. You know what it is for me personally? It's like therapy, right? Honestly. Now, don't hear me wrong. I am not saying anything bad about counselors. You know what? When things are broken, you need to go and get the help. But I wonder this. How many times are we forfeiting a communication with our Lord and our Savior who knows every part of us, who knows how we were put together and has the answer to every riddle, question, or enigma that we can't figure out, and we are going to somebody else to have them say, hmm, how do you feel about that? Instead of God saying, here's what you're struggling with, and here's the answer. 
And if we don't engage in worship, we miss that opportunity. When we don't open up our Bible as ascribing work to God to say, you're a priority to me. How I spend my time is ascribing worth to you. How I spend my money is ascribing worth to you. How I work at my job, whether I work hard or I'm lazy, ascribes worth to my God because my coworkers know that I'm a Christian because I keep handing them invite cards from Lake Hills Church. Our worship means something. It puts our priorities back in order. Worship is huge in your health. And there's a way that you do it. The time you spend in the book can tell you how to do it. In fact, the Bible says this, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. How we worship is clearly defined in the scripture. Spend some time in there searching through it and then do it. Trust me, that's free therapy. And no one's going to cut you a better deal than that. There's no copay, okay, with that one. All right? So let's continue on. I don't know about you, but I refuse in my life to not worship God and to not worship him passionately with enthusiasm. And you guys can see me. I'm, I'm what they call big-boned, okay? All right? I'm not small, all right? I'm not gluten-free, okay? I eat dairy, okay? And a lot of it. I like cheese, okay? Sue me. But you see me. Now, let me make sure you understand beyond a shadow of a doubt, this is not about me. If you knew my family, if you knew where I came from, the fact that I get to stand in God's pulpit and preach his word is one of the biggest miracles you'll ever see. But I refuse to let somebody else give God the glory for me because I know what he's done in my life. And I refuse to let rocks cry out. In the Gospels, it says this. Jesus says he's making his triumphal entry. He says, why are these people praising you like you're the son of God, you're Hosanna, you're the Messiah? And Jesus replies with, if they didn't worship me, the very rocks would cry out. And I don't know about you, but I'm not letting a rock do my job. I'm gonna do my job to the best of my ability. And if it makes me look foolish in your eyes, <laughs> have a ball. Have a ball. Because he means that much to me. And my worship, my worship changes me. It changes me from the inside out. It begs the question, how can I worship if I don't know God? It's hard. It's real hard. The great part is you're here today and you're listening to this, and I'll tell you there's a simple antidote to this problem. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You see, I said it was free therapy. It's free for us. It cost God everything. His very son, he put on the altar and said, I will sacrifice him for the sins of many so they can know me. And when Jesus hung and died on that cross, he opened up access that you now have and connection to your true identity. 
And there's no more identity theft. When you make a decision to follow Christ, there's no one who can take that away from you. There is no one that can pry that from your hands. He takes all of your sin, all of your dysfunction, all of your cray-cray that you got bagged up, baggaged up, right? You know your luggage, your baggage? You know the Gucci set you got at home, right? That. And he says, I'll exchange that for my purpose. I'll exchange that for my calling. I'll exchange that for something greater than you ever thought you could be if you're willing to put me first. Like the song said, I want to seek you. I want to know you first. Not second. Not if I get enough time. Not if at the end of the week I remember and feel guilty. No, no, no. It's a priority. I brush my teeth in the morning because I don't want to affect people that way. I open my Bible and get my spirit clean with the Lord because I don't want to affect people that way. I want to make sure that I put him first. And our job is to worship And if you want to know God, you have to leave all others, leave everything else, and walk toward him and him alone. And when you do that, you're born again. And when you're born again, you get a brand new identity. And that identity is confirmed through your worship. You can continually go back to him and tell him why you love him. The fourth key. The fourth key to your identity is simply this. Your worship, it anchors you to a firm foundation and it confirms your identity. It anchors you to something that will not move. It anchors you to something bigger than yourself. And as long as you allow those other things to stay in first place, you're tethered to movable material objects. When you tether yourself to the God of all gods, and you relentlessly go back to him and say, I'm sorry, you moved again. I pushed you over here, but I'm gonna put you back in first place. It gives you a firm foundation on which you can stand. The Bible says it this, upon my church, I will build you. Upon this rock, I will establish my church. And the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. And when you're tethered there, there's no moving and blowing with the seasons and the times. There is a foundation that God has set for you that sets you up to create success for your kids, for your career, for your family. It sets you up in a way that you cannot be set up otherwise. It sets you up with a hope that's beyond you. And it engages a God who says, I'm for you. And I love you. And there's nothing I won't do for you. Because you're that important to me. That's the identity we're talking about. And I want to help you today because identity theft is not just an out there problem. It's an in here condition. It's an in here condition. We are constantly prone to wonder. And that's why we've got to make habits and put priorities in place to say, here's how I will choose to serve the Lord. 
I will do it according to the book. I'll do it faithfully because I can't afford to be too far for too long. I need him anchoring me to him. Would you bow your heads with me? I never want to start a message or a word that I've heard from the Lord and share it with you without calling you to action, calling you to make a decision. And maybe you know the Lord and you've been walking with him for a long time, but maybe in this moment the Holy Spirit is talking to your heart because he loves you and cares about you. God the Father says, hey, I'm in the wrong position. Jesus says, no, I love you. I died for this. And you want to get him in the right position, back at the top of the leaderboard, number one in the priority list, first. That's between you and the Lord now. You can talk to him in this moment. We've created space in a very busy world. Here's your space. Take advantage of it. And do whatever you have to do to get him back on the podium. Back in first. But maybe you're here and you say, you know, when you talk about how do you worship God if you don't know him, Dan, that's me. That's me today. I, I came here thinking about this and I've never stepped across the line of faith, but I want to make that choice today and accept Jesus gift of salvation as he died on the cross for my sin. I want that. I want that relationship. I want to be able to worship in spirit and truth. No more identity theft or crisis for me. You can do that here today with heads bowed and eyes closed. You can just say a quiet prayer to yourself. You can say, Lord, I choose you to be my Lord and my Savior. I want to put you in right priority in my life. And if that's you, would you help us? Would you help us by just slipping your hand up right where you are? Everybody else's heads are bowed. You can just slip your hand up and say, that's me. I'm making that decision today. I need to put him in first place. We have a tradition here at Lake Hills. As you put your hands down, we put our hands together and say, welcome home. Welcome home.